0: With Dr.
1: Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310 441 Before I jump into the summary of the book from this past week, the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday night's show is A Book About Love by Jonah Lehrer. A Book About Love. And again, um, I talk about judging books by their cover or even titles, but this is definitely the case this time too. I'd seen this book a few times recently, A Book About Love. Um, And I've also read How We Decide by the same author, Jonah Lehrer. So... I thought this might be an interesting one to read, see what he has to say about love. So I'll look forward to reading that this week and sharing that with you on next Monday's show. But the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is Sensation by Thalma Lobel, Sensation, the New Science of Physical Intelligence. And it's quite a fascinating book because of the research that it covers, which is in the field of embodied cognition, which is essentially this idea of the, or the concept of the association between body and mind, that everything that happens to our bodies affects our minds, and really everything affects our minds affects our bodies as well. So it goes both ways. But throughout the book, she shares research looking at various aspects of our sensory experience and how much uh, things that we experience from our senses, whether it's color, things we see, things we feel, as far as temperature, weight, how all these things can have influences on what we think and feel, but very often in an unconscious way. That's what makes it so fascinating, so we're usually unaware of these influences. And, and I'll share a lot of research, and a lot of times in these studies, what they'll do is they'll ask participants what they thought the study was about or what they think influenced decisions they made or things they said or things they said they felt. And almost always they'll have no idea that the thing the researchers were looking at had any effect on them. Um, For example, I shared this study recently because I'd only heard about it this first time in the book uh, Before You Know It by John Barr, and he did that research himself, uh, but it was looking at the influence of holding a cup of coffee, whether it was hot coffee or iced coffee, and the way this would influence or have an effect on how an individual rated another person based on their personal warmth. Um, And so I'll talk about that study and many others. But what's also interesting is throughout the book, we see how a lot of the metaphors that we use related to our senses have actual real-world implications or effects. So for example, warmth that we talk about, oh, he's such a warm person or he's um, emotionally cold uh, or even distant is another one that comes up and that's a different topic, distance. But we talk about coldness or warmth when we talk about someone's personality and we see how this is actually related to how we see people or feel about people or even our temperature can be affected by these things, which is quite uh, incredible. But in the study, quite cleverly, they had people hold a cup of coffee, trying to make it seem like this was not at all part of the experiment. Essentially, what happened is when uh, the participant met, uh, met the person who was doing the experiment, they were holding a cup of coffee, and then they had to write down the person's name. So they asked the participant to hold their coffee for just maybe 30 seconds or however long it took for them to write their name. And for half the participants, it was a hot cup of coffee, and for the other half, it was a iced coffee. Uh, then they came into a room where they thought this was now going to be the partis or the, really the experiment, was that they had to read about an unknown character. And after reading about this person, they had to rate this character on a bunch of duf- different uh, characteristics, some of which were related to cold or warm personalities, things like being generous or ungenerous, good-natured, uh, or irritable. Um, things like that, but others were not related to warmth, things like being talkative, strong, honest, or dishonest. And remarkably, what they found was that those participants that held the warm cup of coffee were more likely to judge the person as being more warm than the people who held the iced coffee, which is really amazing because you think something as subtle as holding a cup of coffee and influencing uh, this feeling of temperature could make you think someone was more warm or cold. And the adjectives that were not related to warm or cold had no effect based on what coffee, coffee the person held. So we see that it was only about this personality characteristic of warmness or coldness that was affected by the temperature. And again, what's stunning is that people have no idea that this had any influence on them whatsoever. They are not aware of this impact and even in hearing this research i'm sure sometimes people will think well that wouldn't affect me or i wouldn't be that person that has that would make a different judgment based on temperature that would influence my judgment but what i always try to remind people is that these studies are about people and they try to find a cross section of people and they always try to replicate studies with different groups of people to see that if it translates to for example different cultures different ages things like that. And really we have to be aware that when we learn about this research on people, you too are a person and you're being influenced by things that you are unaware of a lot of the time. So holding a cup of coffee could influence you, which is interesting sometimes you think when you're meeting someone, whether it's for a kind of business meeting or a date, if you go to a coffee date and you're holding a warm coffee, that might influence how you think of the other person in subtle ways. That's also something I do want to emphasize. It doesn't mean that if you're a really mean person, but you hand people a cup of coffee, they're going to think you're a very warm person uh, or vice versa. If you're someone's holding an iced coffee, they're just going to hate you or think you're a very cold person. But the whole idea of this uh, theory of embodied cognition is that many things are influencing us outside of our awareness in an almost unconscious way. We are being affected by things. Or as she puts it in this book, embodied cognition theory proposes that the mind cannot work separately from the physical world, that the senses provide the bridge to both our unconscious and our conscious thought processes. So we are being influenced by so many things all the time. Often we are not aware of that influence though, because we don't know all these things that are happening to us. And we wouldn't think that the warmth of something we're holding would have an impact on how we judge a person's character, but we're seeing that it does. And so we'd like to feel that we're much more in control of what we're thinking and what we're feeling and our judgments, but we have to be aware that we're being influenced by so many things all of the time. And the more I'm reading these different books and seeing the research that a lot of these psychologists are doing and neuroscientists are doing we see how much we're unaware of what's actually going on within us and this is why for me the ideas of self-knowledge and self-awareness are so important because so much is happening essentially behind the scenes in our minds that we're not aware of but that are having impact on what we think feel decide the relationships we choose to be in our end the jobs we pick almost everything that we do so much is happening in our unconscious that we are not aware of, but we can try to become more and more aware of what is going on. And uh, reading books like this can give you some uh, insight into some of the things that can can have an influence on you. Uh, Also related to the temperature domain, they had people think of an incident where either they were socially included or socially excluded. For example, socially excluded would be not being invited to a party or not being asked to play in a game or being included would be like if they were accepted into a club or something like that and then in a way trying to make it seem like it was unrelated they said oh the maintenance crew was uh, asking about the temperature or something like that and they asked people to rate the temperature and what they found was those people who thought about a socially excluded event thought that the room was much colder almost five degrees colder than the average of people who were thinking of a socially included incident in their life. So this feeling of warmth that comes with inclusion even affected the way the person physically felt. And it's funny here uh, in our studio today, the air conditioning isn't working. Um, and Amir, who's with me here on Monday nights, he knows I usually like it very cold and turn on the air, but I'm not able to do that. So I'm sure this impacted, it's a little bit warmer in the room, has an impact on me maybe it'll make me more irritable so i think we have some callers on the line maybe i'll be more irritable with them because of how i'm feeling physically Uh, but really that does happen we do have these types of effects on our physical sensations on our mind and vice versa one study that wasn't in this book that i'm reminded of is they found that judges who were on parole boards when it came close to their lunch time they found that they were more negative in their judgments than they were either the start of the day or right after lunch and what was clear was that the effect of being hungry had an impact on how they were judging the person in front of them so if you're physically feeling a little bit uncomfortable or in pain and then you're asked to make a judgment about a person and you're looking at them and you're taking in everything that your body and mind is telling you Part of what your body will be telling you is something unpleasant. And we talk about gut feelings and the ways we use those things sometimes in a good way, but can also backfire in the sense that something unrelated to the person, your level of hunger, might impact how good you feel about them, how likely you feel that they will have rehabilitated in this case or would be able to be trusted might be affected by how you're feeling as far as hunger goes, which is quite amazing to me. Going back to the book, there's lots of different senses that she talks about. Another one that's interesting is the idea of weight. Uh, For example, we use analogies like this idea has a lot of weight to it or that argument has a lot of weight to it. And so there is this connection metaphorically that we have with weight and significance. And so a very interesting study that they did was that they found people uh, or they gave people resumes that were identical two different groups and in half the group they were shown this resume on a very light clipboard and the other half got it on a heavy clipboard one that weighed four times as much and amazingly what they found was those who found the heavy or who had the heavy clipboard they gave the candidate a higher rating they thought the person was a better candidate than the person who had the light clipboard and again if i told you that your in your judgment of some candidate for a job was influenced by the clipboard we gave you their resume you would probably be maybe offended by that that i'm saying your judgment is influenced by something like this but the truth is that we're seeing that these things do have an impact on us and again it's about having this humility that we're being influenced by many things that we're not aware of That We've talked before about your moral judgments and how you think it's a purely rational thing that you've thought about, but we see how much emotion plays a part in that. The Righteous Mind uh, by Jonathan Haidt, that book, talked directly about this concept, but we see it in other ways as well. And There was a study in here, a few studies about smell, and it's interesting because we think of moral disgust, and it's possible that this idea of moral disgust or the way we have moral disgust as humans, could be affected by physical disgust, or maybe it was started by that. And this is why people even make the same faces when you say, or they smell something disgusting, or if you tell them about something morally disgusting that someone did. We tend to make the same facial expressions. Uh, but they did an interesting study where they had people, some of whom were just disp- exposed to, and this is interesting she even says it herself in the name of science but a a fart spray they weren't aware that the room had this smell in it and the other half had a non-smelly room and they were asked to judge uh different moral things that people did and what they found was that people who were in the bad smelling rooms or in other studies they drank bad tasting things or disgusting drinks they were harsher in their moral judgments compared with those who are not exposed to bad odors or who drink sweet or neutral drinks so even how we judge something or someone for what they're doing could be affected by how physically disgusted we're feeling in that moment we judge things even differently in that case so the book goes through lots of different things even the color red and it's interesting this desk here in the studio at radio Hamra is very red and that can affect things like Um, makes us think about sexual things, but also can make us think about stopping because this could go back to ideas like grade school where a a red F meant you did something bad. And so people have that association or the scarlet letter. Uh, But things like size and how we tend to think that if someone is taller, they're more powerful. And research you didn't talk about in here, but I remember in another book, um, they had people rate how tall someone was a guest to their classroom in a university and for some of them some classes they were told this person was a very well-known and prestigious professor from another university and for the other half they were told it was just some volunteer or something like that a lot less powerful and the power that the person had or the status that they gave the person influenced how tall people estimated he was it had that kind of impact which is amazing so we even see more powerful people as taller, and we see people who maybe are not as powerful as not as tall. Something like height and our estimations can be influenced by that. But uh, to make a concluding point, something that came to me in reading this book was this reminder that when we think about important things in our life, uh, when we think about making big decisions, such as making a move or relationship change or um, starting a relationship, ending a relationship, changing a job, moving houses, whatever it might be, we probably want to think about it at different times and in different contexts because you might not be aware of the various influences that are affecting how you're feeling and thinking at that time. And again, you might think, I'm not going to be impacted by my physical sensations or the temperature or if I have a stomachache or headache or whatever else it might be. But all the research in this book suggests otherwise, that you're much more influenced by factors that you're unaware and unconscious of Um, that you might want to think or that you'd like to think. So think about things at different times. Sleep on it and think about it the next day. Go to a different place and think about that same thing. Go for a walk, which also can have its own benefits, and give yourself that opportunity to think about that issue because then you'll have a better chance of realizing what you really think in different ways and not being as influenced by one factor. And I think that that's actually something um, important to do. Don't just think about things in one setting. I mentioned a few weeks ago I realized myself that sometimes when I think about something that's more emotional or relationally related before I have coffee in the morning, I can be a little bit more negative about whatever that issue is, likely influenced by The feeling I have maybe being more irritable, feeling tension, maybe having a slight headache from not having that morning coffee. So if I think about something or someone, I might have a more negative approach. And then if you add to that the fact that I grab a hot cup of coffee, maybe that temperature has an impact, but then also drinking it can have a change on my physical feeling. Uh, This changes not just my physical feeling, but my emotional feeling. And once again, we're reminded that as much as we try to tease these things apart, physical and mental, emotional and logical, they're much more connected and integrated than we sometimes like to think by putting these labels on them. So this book goes through lots of interesting research and you're just, in some ways, amazed time and time again, almost to the point where you get used to it, but that all these small factors, things that seem so subtle, can have big impacts on how people think and feel. So that was the book Sensation, The New Science of Physical Intelligence by Thalma Lobel. And the book of the week for this week is A Book About Love by Jonah Lehrer. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310 441 We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
0: Hello.
1: Yes, hi. Thanks for calling.
0: Uh, Thank you, Dr. Farid, for um, accepting my
1: call. My pleasure.
0: I'm hearing my own voice. I don't know what
1: I can do about it. Well, if the radio is on, that would be it. Or if you're on speaker, sometimes it'll do that. No. Okay. If you're on speaker, I would say take that off. But if it's not, then I'm not sure what's happening. We're hearing you fine on our end.
0: Okay. Um, Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Okay. First of all, thank you for taking my call. My and, pleasure. Um, I'm actually calling to ask you a question about um, a situation we have with my three-year-old daughter. Um, she's my first daughter. Um, she's dealing with uh, severe food allergies. We have 16 allergens so far on our list. Wow. And our list is growing. Unfortunately, she's been going through severe reactions mm. um, to most of them. and. Um, uh, we have um, three medical options on our table, and I want you to help us realize which one is going to affect um, her mental health uh, in a negative way um, mm. less than the others. Okay. Um, in my opinion, we don't have a good choice. We have to choose um,
1: the least bad one. Yeah. Okay.
0: First of all, the um, first option is just avoidance, avoiding the allergies and um, carrying EpiPen. And in case of an accidental exposure, just use the EpiPen and um, calling 911, go to the, the emergency uh, to be monitored for a few hours. Mm. Right. And this is what most of the allergies um, are recommended. Which uh, has its own limitations. We are pretty limited when it comes to um, buying food, um, because they may not contain her allergens, but they, most of them are um, have been in contact somehow, so they are labeled as may contain. So we have to avoid them. Mm. She can't go to an ice cream shop and buy an ice cream. She can't go to a bakery and buy, like, I don't know, a croissant. We um, um, can't go to um, most of the restaurants out there. So it's it's a lot of limitations, and uh, I guess that in her teenage years and her college years, uh, it's not going to be, it's going to affect her negatively um, because it's pretty limiting. Uh, Our second option is that we're actually seeing an allergist, a very good one in Canada, uh, we live in Canada, and um, he is uh, offering us to do some sort of clinical trial um, to expose her to her allergens. Um, little by little, and in in like six to eight months of time, um, kind of building up uh, her immune system, um, um, kind of desensitizing her immune system, mm-hmm. let's it that way. Um, so she, at the end of that trial, she will still be allergic, let's say, to peanuts, but she can tolerate like two peanuts a day. Um so- which, uh, which means that she will have some sort of food freedom when it comes to cross-contaminated food. Mm-hmm. So, for example, she can go to that like ice cream shop and buy a vanilla ice cream, which was in contact with like um, peanut ice cream, mm-hmm. and she won't get fatal reactions. Okay. Um, but but the downside is that um, during that that trial, there may be a lot of bad reaction. But the doctor believes that it's in a controlled situation, so we can reverse it. But anyway, the experience of it mm. won't be like nice for her. Um, and um, other downside is that at the end of the clinical trial, even if it, uh, there is a chance of failure, like 20 to 40% chance of failure, but even if she can graduate from that, um, she has to be on a a maintenance dose of two peanuts a day for the rest of her life. If she forgets her dose for a few days, she may be in square one. She has to do the whole trial from the beginning.
1: Specifically, peanuts are all the things that she would be exposed to.
0: Sorry?
1: Is it specifically peanuts or any of the things that she would be desensitized to?
0: Not all of them, but out of that 16 allergens, allergens like almost 10 of them will be gone. But he doesn't offer this clinical trial for all, for allergens. Oh. That's another downside. Okay. So at the end of it, she will still have some food mm. on her list. Okay. Um, And So that's our option two. There is a third option. I recently found a doctor on searching online he is um, quite close to you. He is in Long Beach, California. And mm-hmm. um, he does a similar um, method to this Canadian doctor, but it looks like it's more promising with less risk. So he claims that the way I do it, um, I prepare the body before doing those um, like trials. So my patients won't react at all uh, during that process. and. Um, he, he kind of he, he believes that ideally the whole immune system, not just the allergens. That's why he treats all allergies. And um, and at the end of the trial, um, his, his patients will be on a monthly dose, not daily doses. And uh, and then uh, the rest of the time they can eat freely. So in, in, in the case of the Canadian doctor, my daughter will really still be allergic to peanuts, so she can't have something containing peanuts, so she still has to avoid those. But she is she okay. is safe in case of like cross-contamination. Mm-hmm. But in the Californian doctor, it looks like she can freely eat peanuts as much as she wants.
1: Mm-hmm. So she
0: just has to have that minimum of those per month. Okay. So... But it, that, yeah that, I just quickly go through that, is that that process is pretty demanding. Sure. A lot of meditations, a lot of tests, a lot of food that she has to eat, and uh, we have to travel from Canada to California every six to eight weeks for almost two years. And okay, it, it, and by the way, if you could
1: speak a little louder, I know I said we can hear you well, but it's coming a little faint. so I, I'm sorry, uh-huh. I'm telling you now, you already shared a lot, so but even still for the rest of our time. So, you know, uh, uh, the issue... You're bringing up, there's obviously a lot of things to think about. And I know you're saying which of these three is the best or the least bad or least damaging. One big problem is that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I know you're saying this doctor says this, this doctor says this. But again, there's risks involved, like you said, with any kind of desensitization where she could have some really bad allergic reactions, which could be hurtful or traumatizing. So it's hard for me to tell you This one is the best when we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm definitely not a medical doctor or an allergy specialist to tell you which of these three is going to work the best or what's going to happen. So it's hard for me to tell you this one is definitely the best one because it's going to go this way. Because, yeah, if she goes through the clinical trials and she has a bunch of really bad reactions, that might be worse than just avoiding the foods, which Uh is, is difficult, too. What's very important for me from a psychological perspective is that you don't make her feel bad about this or different about it, and especially you and and her father, if you guys are together, have to manage your anxiety about this. Because what's gonna happen is, regardless of any of these uh, paths you take, when you're probably eating with her, or let's say you're going somewhere new, or if she's trying something new, you might be overly anxious because you're scared of how she might react. And this can have an impact on you, of course, but also on her and how she feels and might even make her react more strongly or have more issues related to that. So I would be coming from the psychological side, making sure you and whoever else is around her a lot is aware of their own a way of looking at her, that, okay, she has lots of allergies, we definitely take it seriously in the sense that we don't ignore it or we don't do everything we can to make sure she's okay but we're going to just accept that this is how her life is and this is how she's going to be i don't know how good options 2 and 3 are as far as success rate risks really i know they told you some things what's going to happen so it's hard for me to tell you option 2 or 3 sound good because i don't know what's going to happen so i definitely won't be giving you Uh, definite answer of one, two, or three, this is the best one, because I don't know about the successes of two and three. And you said there's some doctor in LA area, Long Beach. This person could be great and really have a good treatment, or it could be something that he's saying it's better than it is. I'm just being uh, kind of trying to be a healthy skeptic. I don't know what's going on. And if he's the only one that does it, he could be at the cutting edge and have something new, or it could be that there's not a lot of scientific merit to it. And that's why he's the only one doing it. I don't know. I'm just saying I would be skeptical in a healthy way that we don't know these things and we have to really look into it more before we subject your very, very young daughter to something that might be extreme, especially with all the traveling. That part of it, to me, seems like I don't like that part of the option three, that you would have to travel so much and so much preoccupation with this I think avoiding the foods might be easier than that to me, if it's going to put her through so much stress. And I know you're saying when she's older, you're right. It is kind of tough that all her friends want to go to a restaurant and she might have to bring her own food or maybe can only go to specific restaurants. I'm not sure. But I don't know if this idea of going through all these things is going to be worth it. I don't know the impact it's going to have. So to me, I know you wanted me to give you a a very clear answer on one, two, or three But to me, it's most important from the psychological side how you guys deal with your own anxiety and how you treat her. And even in another way where you guys don't make her feel like an inconvenience, whatever the situation might be, like, oh, we can't eat there anymore, or we have to go here, or I can't bring these foods in the home, or whatever it is, we're going to have to accept that this is how your girl is different, not bad. Yes, there is something about this that's not good and it could be unhealthy, but we don't want to make her feel bad about being different, it's just that this is how she's different and that's okay. So that's for me the most important part of how I would want you guys to deal with her and again dealing with your own anxiety, that if you're so worried about every time she puts food in her mouth, that you're looking at her and stressed and monitoring her and seeing if she's showing any initial symptoms of having an allergic reaction, that anxiety that you're going to put on her will have its own huge negative impact on her.
0: Yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, the thing is that before before knowing options two and three exist, mm-hmm. we, we, we pretty much accepted the situation and we were living our life. So it was not like something, I mean, we were okay. Okay. And were you, but and so. Realizing that we have these options. Okay. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't sleep properly like, since two weeks ago that I know that, oh my God, we have these two options and she might be okay. She might have some sort of food freedom in future.
1: And okay, I mean, you know, okay, but the okay seems like it has quotes on it. So it's not like she's just going to have, she'll have more freedom, but it seems like it'll still be, of course, something she's going to always have to uh, at least be concerned about or aware of. She can't just say, now I can eat whatever I want, it seems, from what you're describing. So again, it's all about risk-benefit, and I don't know the exact way of measuring that, but if the benefit is just mild and you guys can handle it and she's okay without it, then maybe the risk won't be worth it. And to put her through having lots of allergic reactions, I think that's a very scary thing to put her through as far to, as far as the treatment goes. And I don't know how likely it is that she'll have allergic reactions if she doesn't do any of these treatments. So those are the things I would meet with a few more doctors, obviously, because I can't give you good input, or any input really on the medical side of things. But from the psychological side, like I said, those parts that are important for me is how you treat her and treat your own anxiety about this issue, even to the point where you could go to your own therapy for this, because you're almost definitely going to affect her for this. You're going to make her feel scared, and that itself might, one, cause her to have more of a reaction, and two, have other negative impacts on how she feels about herself and how much anxiety she herself carries from day to day. She can survive with this, it seems it does seem like it's something that can have a negative impact or does expose her but we don't have to make her feel bad about it and that's really your biggest role of course first is to protect her physically but then to protect her psychologically from feeling bad about this and bad about herself Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i get your point you're right um Okay, thank you so much. Sure, thanks for your
1: call. I appreciate you calling. Good luck with that. It's not an easy situation. Like you said, we're trying to make the best of a not great situation, but you have this three-year-old girl, and this is what she has, and acceptance is going to be a big part for all of you, including her, and she only can get to acceptance if you guys show her you've accepted it. And acceptance doesn't mean ignoring, but it means accepting that this is her and this is life. We love her how she is and this is how she is now if something can be done i'm not saying ignore that that's why i don't want you to ignore any medical possibilities and maybe even there's advancements that happen medically but as far as accepting her i think to me that's so important so i hope you'll give her that feeling more than anything but thank you for your call
0: thank you so much sure
1: have a good night Bye bye. all right going into our last commercial break we'll be right back Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi, thanks for calling.
2: Hi, Doctor. Uh, good evening. Um doctor I'm calling tonight uh to talk with you about um can you hear me? Yes, I can. Um about um four years ago, um, I was um I had a really bad relationship. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm.
2: And then, hello?
1: Yes, I I can hear you.
2: Okay. And then after that, uh, it took me a while, and then I moved on out of it. Like, I I found so many friends. I was so young. And after that, for, like, after two years uh, later, I started dating another guy Mm -hmm. for, like, um, six months. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then everything was good and all that, and all of a sudden, everything went down, long story short. Um, It took me, like, almost a year to kind of move on. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, like, every single time I went on a date, I have high expectations from people. And, like, every, every time I go, like, I feel like I shouldn't, like, be attached to anyone or... If, like, they don't text me the way I want them the next day, I, just, I should just let them go. I should just move on.
1: Okay, or, so so it, I'm not sure if that means high expectations or that's what your way of avoiding getting close to anyone.
2: I sometimes do. I and mean, then as soon as I want to get close to someone, um, if, if, for, if they don't text me for, like, a day, I just move on. Or I let them go and I go talk with everybody about the situation. I feel depressed for, like, a few days, and I'm like, you know what, this is that. Like, every single time I feel, I have to let them go, and I'm so worried that, you know, they may know about my past, or... Because uh, I was married once.
1: Okay, well, what do you mean, you're worried they're going to know that you were married? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want my opinion, you shouldn't be hiding that from anyone.
2: I mean, it's so hard for me, like, to, like... um, like right now I was like for a moment I'm I've been talking to a guy for 10 days mm-hmm. or like 2 weeks and everything is going good and I'm like so scared and very like um negative about the situation I'm like what about if he figures out what about if he knows and, this and is
1: I know happen? and this is exactly why keeping a secret and actually in the book I talked about today even talked about this idea that it makes us feel like we're carrying a weight and it really does you're so stressed out about something that in my opinion, you need to be honest with him. So when you start dating someone, it doesn't mean it's literally the first thing you have to say, but pretty soon you should let them know, especially if they ask 100%. But even hiding it is not something that's going to be good for your relationship, even in building trust. Now, you said you started, you're talking about it four years ago and different times. How old are you now?
2: I'm 27. Okay. And I was so young I mean when that happened. Um... It was a kind of a relationship that none of my family or people around me were okay with it. Yeah. But I pushed it so hard. and And yeah. for some reason, like everybody else, I was so young. It didn't work out. It didn't turn to be the way that I was expecting to happen. And after that, I was dating someone that that guy, after like, like the second guy, I was so hurt. That. It kind of like it, it kind. It took me a long time to move on because I was all because I was the one that was rejected. So I was thinking, okay, it's it was my fault. Or every single time I even go on a date with someone, I'm so scared about my like attitude. Okay, am I laughing good? Am I like um, doing what I'm supposed to do? Like it's it's so I want to be myself, but at the same time, I'm like maybe I shouldn't be all but I'm all myself. And it's like a first, like, impression. Like, I have to be different. And then, like, it's... I'm so confused. Yeah. Well, so this
1: is where, you know, we talk about... And sometimes it sounds like a cliche. You hear it so much that you have to love yourself to love someone else or to let them love you. This is where we see this playing out. Because it seems like you're not sure about yourself. Your self-esteem and your self-love isn't there to think, I'm lovable, I'm good. And someone else can find me lovable and good and want to be with me, not I have to be someone else or act like someone else or hide parts of myself and my past in order to make someone like me. And sometimes this is a very common attitude, but especially a common Persian attitude that to be in a relationship or to get someone to like you, you have to almost trick them into liking you or pretend like you're something you're not or show them one thing. And then once you get them, be something else. But none of these things are healthy and lead to a good relationship and are going to let you feel good about yourself. So to me, the first part is you feeling good about you, which clearly seems like you don't feel good about you. And also looking at these past relationships, because almost you only described maybe three of them. I'm not sure if they were different ones, but you talked about the guy treating you really bad. And we don't want to look at these types of patterns and think, oh, it's just bad luck or all men are the same and all men are bad, and we have to see why are you choosing these types of men who are treating you bad. It's not just by luck or accident that this is happening.
2: True. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like that's something, you know, I'm always like thinking, you know, about uh, two years ago, I was I was way really overweight, and then, I mean, I worked so hard, I lost all of it, but I still don't like think that i'm good enough or i'm like pretty enough i was like okay no maybe i need to still work on myself more maybe like if like i'm from something else or if i do better i can find what i want like or or the same thing that i was telling you earlier doctor as soon as i go if the if the guy doesn't text me the next day first of all i'm not gonna text them and then i'm like okay see this didn't work what did i do wrong
1: See, that's in what you said, there are so many assumptions that you're making. First of all, with the weight loss, uh, good on you that you you did that. But a lot of times when people have issues with their self-esteem, these things, external factors like weight loss can help, but you still, it seems like, feel like something is not enough about you or not okay about you. So even though it seems like you helped deal with some issue you had or you felt was holding you back or making you less attractive, it still seems like you feel like something is not okay about you. And that's why, first of all, the person doesn't text you for one day after a date. I think it's nice for them to do that and they probably should. But even let's say the person doesn't like you or to them it's not a match, it doesn't mean you're bad or you did something wrong or bad. It could just be that you're not a match and that person is not attracted to you or doesn't see you as a partner long term. Just like there's plenty of people you might not see as a potential partner, doesn't mean that they're bad. People are not good. It just means they're not a match or not attractive to you. So it's not all or nothing. But when you feel like you're getting rejected, which you're even seeing it before it happens, it seems, you think that it's because this person can see that I'm not good enough, not because they've said anything, but because you think that yourself. Yeah, that's kind of it.
2: Just because it's the similar things that happen like few times for me. And then I compare myself with like other my my other friends or like right. my sister or whoever is in my life. I'm like, okay, what do they do that they are always the one that rejected the guy or like I'm so nice, like I'm so social, like how come it doesn't like happen for me? Like I'm always the one that getting like more stuff if I'm getting rejected? What's the reason behind it? Do I do something wrong? Or well, like
1: it's- probably not you doing something wrong. And what's interesting, actually, and I've seen it so many times with people describing what you're describing, is they think it's something wrong with what I'm doing or how I'm being. But really what's the biggest issue is you're not actually being yourself. You're not letting yourself be there. So when you say I'm nice, nice usually means kind of being fake and not being genuine. So if you're nice on the date or if you're nice to people, you're not really being yourself. And so the problem is you think you are yourself are not enough, but the problem is that because you think you're not enough, you're acting like you're someone else, and people aren't actually going to like when you put on a mask and act like someone else. So you you need to be more you than you're being. It's not actually that you have to act in a certain way or pretend to be this or act like your sister or act like this person or act like them. They're all being themselves, and people are liking that because they're being themselves. You need to be yourself and not try to be someone else or do what your sister does on a date because you're not her. So if you walk like she does and talk like she does, it doesn't work because you're not the same person. And so f- what I'm hearing from you is you need to get more in touch with yourself and you need to heal some very it seems like deep wounds you have about how you feel about yourself. And until you deal with those, it's not very likely that you will enter into a healthy relationship because either you'll choose someone who's going to treat you bad or you're going to keep finding ways to ruin the relationship before it starts. You're not going to let yeah, something develop.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what my problem is. Like, I ruin any, everything before you actually
1: mm-hmm.
2: start. Like, I was even telling my friends, like, okay, this one looks like he seems to be working, but, like, just watch me.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And that awareness, that's good. That awareness is the first step. Yeah. That awareness is the first step, which is good. And we only have a few minutes. That's why I cut you off there. We have about uh, four minutes left. But that awareness is going to help you. But you have to make that change to realize what's happening. A lot of people that tell you they're picky, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm so picky when it comes to dating. And I have such high standards. A lot of times it's not that they're actually picky and having high standards. It's that they're finding a way to ruin it before it starts. So they find something wrong with the person. Oh, she did this, or he does that, or he looks this way, or he looks that way. Of course, we want to have standards and look at the person and make sure we're attracted to them, make sure it's a good match. But a lot of times people who are quote-unquote too picky, they're finding a way to ruin things in some way. So when you're saying, you know, I'll find something wrong with them or I'll find something wrong... That's your way of protecting yourself because you don't want to expose yourself to get hurt again, which means clearly your wounds from the past relationships have not healed, even though you're trying to move on. But also what's caused those wounds, that feeling of you not being enough, your issue of self-esteem and loving yourself is not there. So you almost expect or feel like you know that the person won't love me if they get to know me. They won't want me. So I have to either pretend to be someone else Or keep them at a distance, and neither of them is going to work for a long-term relationship. In a long-term relationship, you have to be yourself and allow someone to get close to you, but to you right now, none of those things feel safe or feel like they can work, and going back to this idea of you being married, I understand that it could have a stigma, especially in Persian communities, and for, let's say, some Persian men, they might have a stigma attached to that, but this is you, and you have to... Accept that this is you and be with someone that accepts you as you are and who you are. Not pretend to be someone else and think, oh my gosh, when are they going to find out? Are they going to find out? If you hide this from them, first of all, they almost definitely will find out. And then once they do, their trust for you will be almost zero. Because they'll say, what else do you hide from me? What else don't I know about you? Something so important you kept from me. I asked you and you lied to me or you kept hiding this from me. You're going to ruin the trust in the relationship. And I know we were just talking before, sometimes you might try to ruin things, so maybe you'll want to do that. But if you finally find a good relationship, you're going to mess it up. Be honest with the person because you are good enough as you are. You don't have to be someone else or have a different past or be a different person. You have to be you and find someone that loves that and accepts that. But first, you have to love and accept that yourself. Yeah, it. It's just, you
2: know, like it's like I was... Right now I'm, this guy that I'm talking to, like, he seemed to be some, like, I expect him, like, different things, and then he acts differently, but it's, like, I don't know if should I tell him right now, like, isn't it too early to just tell him, Or oh, you know what, you want to know about my past, or, like, should I, like, talk to him over the phone, or just go out and see him and tell him?
1: Well, like, I don't know if you have to make it a big reveal unless you've lied to him. If he asked you that's going to be, it could be a problem. But if he hasn't asked you, whenever you see him next, or if you want to talk to me, say, you know, there's something about my past I haven't uh, brought up or we haven't talked about. You didn't ask me. And I thought it was important for me to tell you and then tell him. I do have just about 10, 20 seconds left. So I have to wrap up the show. But another thing, and I, I just think this is very obvious in your case, but it benefits almost anyone is to go to therapy, to work through what you're talking about, because these things aren't just going to go away. You're going to keep dealing with these problems and you're going to carry this feeling about yourself and these feelings you have from the past into every relationship it can't just disappear by trying to act like someone else or pretend like you're confident or pretend like you're this it won't work long term you can have a good date but you won't have a good relationship so i really recommend that you go get some help and get some therapy i do have to end the show i wish we had more time to talk feel free to call in another time we can get a little bit deeper into things but uh have a good night thank you for calling
2: thank you so much Doctor. okay thank you have okay. a good
1: night all right thank you to the callers and the listeners and to amir here in the studio you've been listening to in session with dr have a wonderful night